Hi, my name is Mary. Throughout this series, we will read each psalm as a call and response. If you are able, please stand as we read Psalm 103, 1 to 18. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. As far as the east is from the west, so far the Lord removes our sins from us. The Lord, who works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed, has made known God's ways to Moses, God's acts to the people of Israel. The Lord will not always chide nor harbor anger forever. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is the Lord's steadfast love toward the faithful. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to the faithful. As far as the east is from the west, so far the Lord removes our sins from us. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. As far as the east is from the west, so far the Lord removes our sins from us. The word of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Gracious Lord, we ask that as we listen to your word today that you would speak to us. Uh, you would open up our hearts to be able to see you more clearly and to know you. Give us the grace to be changed into your image and so our lives come to resemble yours. We pray these things in Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Glenn Packham. I'm the pastor here at New Life Downtown. We're in a series on the Psalms and have been for quite some time now. And this morning we're in Psalm 103, and we'll turn there in just a minute. But before we do, I'm going to take a risk this morning and share the most embarrassing story I've ever shared about myself. I mean, I've never, prior to the 9 a.m. service this morning, I've never shared this before. And I was cautioned, maybe even warned about sharing this story by my wife, who said, are you sure you really want to share this story? But I'm going for it today, okay? So a little bit of backdrop. My wife's from Iowa. She grew up going to the lake in the summer, and there's lakes all around them, Minnesota, all of that stuff, water sports, it's like her native territory. Now me, I grew up in the tropics, a country called Malaysia, 
water all around us, but we have come to appreciate water from a distance, you know? I'm the, kind, I'm the sort of beach kid that enjoys the water from the sand, you know? So water sports, not so much my thing. And, uh, and, and last year, I was 39, I'm 40 now, but even at 39, I sort of knew, you know what, I've made my peace with who I am and who I am not. I don't, need to be try, I don't need to try to be someone I'm not. And so last summer when the family, her side of the family got together, they wanted to uh, have a little vacation at Table Rock Lake out in Missouri where the lake water is warm. And, uh, and I knew there was going to be a boat involved at some point and people were going to do water sports at some point. So I made a pregame decision. I thought, I'm not going to do that. I am not going to get out on the water skis or whatever it is that they end up renting. I'll just enjoy the view from the boat. I'll be the camera guy. I'll take pictures. So we're out there. No, don't. Oh, this is fun. This is my choice. I know who I am. I know who I'm not, right? <laughs> it's okay. You can't be good at everything. Uh, so we're out there. <laughs> We're, <laughs> we're, I know, terrible. Listen, in, in a minute, you're going to knock me down several notches in your mind. Just wait a minute. So we're out there on the boat, and the kids are being pulled along on one of those inflatable raft things, you know, and they're, they're just having a ball. I mean, even our five-year-old is, like, jumping off the raft and just having a great time. And I'm feeling just fine on the boat, eating grapes and taking pictures. And, uh, and after, you know, a couple hours of this, they're, they're like, come on, are you sure you don't want I mean, we're going to take the boat back. You know, we've only rented it for a few hours. Are you sure you don't want to have a go? And I was like, no, no, I'm just fine. And then our son... My dear son says, Dad, come on, Dad, please, just once, go with me on the raft. I said, okay, okay, come on. We can do this. We'll just get on the, this, this raft together and be pulled. You know, so, okay. So we get all set, got our life jackets on. We're hanging on, leaning forward. And <clears throat> I was not prepared for just how strong that initial <laughs> tug was going to be. Now, all of you, you know this. You're all that. This is, I did not know. And so we're hanging on, and I, was, I had the wrong angle, or I wasn't holding. I, I don't know what happened, but we just poof, totally, our raft just totally sunk because I wasn't leaning the right way or whatever. So we're in the water. The raft is maybe 10 feet away. The boat feels like miles away. And I'm like, we're laughing, like, oh, man, oh, my goodness. And then all of a sudden, I lose my mind. Like, I just panic, like, just freak out. And, and, and it's totally irrational, like I've got a life vest on, I know how to swim moderately, but, but I, just, I just freak out. And so all of a sudden we're floating there and I'm looking at them at the, uh, at the boat and, and Holly, who was a lifeguard in high school, Holly's just standing at the edge of the boat like, you know, like no, no big deal, my father-in-law's standing, he's ready, and I'm in the water bobbing and all of a sudden I go, help, help, help. <laughs> And they're looking at me like, did he just say help? Like, and then I thought, well, maybe, you know, they are miles away, right? Maybe they can't hear me. And so I just, I start with both hands now. I'm like, help, help. And Holly's looking at me like, seriously? Like, like you've got a life jacket on, you know? And so my father-in-law, God bless him. He was a corpsman in the Navy. I mean, served in Vietnam. He like dove in. I mean, he just, he got into that mode, you know, and he's swimming like he's got, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, this is great. Now, Jonas is next to me. He's not freaking out until he, he wasn't rather until he saw me freaking out. And, and my father-in-law gets there and instead of like handing him my son, I'm like grabbing his arm, like, save me. <laughs> 
And finally, Holly jumps into and saves Jonas. And uh, <laughs> now I share this very vulnerable, embarrassing story with you just to illustrate that sometimes in moments of crisis, you absolutely lose your mind. Like, the things you actually know are true, you start to question if they're true or not. The things that are like, this is like basic stuff, life jacket, swimming, this should not be hard. But in those moments of crisis, you lose your bearings so much that you begin to question things that you once were sure of. The Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls this disorientation. And he talks about psalms of disorientation, psalms that, that the psalmist reflects a kind of disorientation in life that you don't even know what's true anymore, what's north, what's up, what's down, where, how, where do we go from here? Now, when you listen to Psalm 103, it doesn't seem like it should be a psalm of disorientation. And in fact, it's not. It's a hymn of praise. It's a bless the Lord, O my soul. Now listen, maybe you've heard songs like this and thought, Oh, Christians, you and your happy, clappy songs, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. But there's something about Psalm 103 that you may not have realized before, and that is the context that this psalm was set in. Last week, Pastor Jason Jackson showed us that all of these 150 psalms are compiled into five books, and that each of these books most likely were meant to correspond to seasons in Israel and Judah's life. And Psalm 103 falls in the early part of book four, or rather the middle of book four. And book four is supposed to be songs that you sing when you're in exile. Book four is supposed to be prayers that you pray, songs that you sing when you're in exile. Exile for the people of Judah in the Old Testament meant they were removed from their land. They had lost it. The Babylonians had carried them out as prisoners. They lost their temple. They didn't have a king anymore. Their king had been thrown in, 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 in chains. And so they were stuck and they're living in this foreign land. One of the later Psalms says, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? By the rivers of Babylon, we hung up our harps and we sat and we wept, right? But Psalm 103 anticipates that and says, I know you're in exile, but I want to give you a song to sing. You see, the psalmist knows uh, that in our darkest moments, we need a song. But let me just pause for a moment and name for us some of the questions that haunt us in crisis, the questions that haunt us in a time of crisis. Usually as Christians, one of the first questions we begin to wonder about is, what is God really like? Is God really good? Is God really in control? Is God a mad scientist whom the world just kind of got away from him? What is God really like? And then maybe the second question, what does God really think about me? What is God actually really thinking? In those moments of disorientation, you start to question basic things. What is easy to sort of say in the Sunday school answer and be like, oh, it's so great, Jesus loves me, this I know. In those moments of crisis, you're like, does he? I mean, really? For real? It, it, what is God actually like? And what does God really think about me? Psalm 103 opens with a very clear call. It says, let my whole being bless the Lord. Or maybe you're familiar with the other translation. Bless the Lord, O my soul. 
and all that is within me. Let everything inside me bless his holy name. Let my whole being bless the Lord and never forget all his good deeds. He has to open with a song that helps us remember because the psalmist knows in our moments of crisis, we need a song. We need a song. When you can't remember sermons, when you don't need another person wagging their finger and saying, well, you know, if you had just, when you know you're in a mess, whether of your own making or not, we need a song. We don't need another lecture. We don't need another sermon. We don't need a whole big lesson. Sometimes all we need is a song. Take us back. Help me remember. Well, what is it we're singing about? The psalmist gives us that. Verse two again. Let my whole being bless the Lord and never forget all his good deeds. How God forgives all your sins, heals all your sicknesses, saves your life from the pit, crowns you with faithful love and compassion. I mean, listen to these verbs. Forgives, heals, saves, crowns, and then he goes on and satisfies you with plenty of good things so that your youth is made fresh like an eagle's. The Lord works righteousness. Are you catching all these verbs? Satisfies, works righteousness, does justice for all who are oppressed. God made his ways known to Moses and his deeds known to the Israelites. We don't just need a song. We need to sing about who God is and what God does who God is and what God does in those moments. It is music that sometimes helps us express things that we never could express on our own, that sometimes puts us in touch with emotions that we could never express for ourselves. But what is it we need to sing about? It's not just a song, right? Not, it's not just that any song will do. No, we gotta sing about who God is and what God does. Now sometimes in our mind, we, we try to distinguish between who God is and what God does. Sometimes I've heard people kind of say, well, we, we don't want to just praise God for what he's done. We want to praise God for who he is. But you see, we are kind of, as a Western civilization, we're sort of descendants from this Greek way of thinking where we can kind of make abstract concepts. And so we're like, oh, God is, insert abstract concept, right? But in the Hebrew mindset, they did not divide up who God is from what God does, they did not divide up the nature and character of God and the actions and the deeds of God. Those are one and the same. In fact, God reveals who he is by what he does. God reveals who he is by what he does. They're like, look, who is God other than the one who called light out of darkness and ordered the chaos of the waters of the deep? Who is God other than the one who called Israel out of Egypt? This is who God is. They don't deal in abstractions. This is not uh, some sort of you know, Western philosophy class where we're listing out vague attributes of God. They're saying that we know who God is because we've seen what God does. We know who God is because we've seen what God does. And so that's why the psalmist can say, forget none of his benefits. It's even an interesting word in Hebrew that has the idea of compensation, and usually it has kind of a negative impact or sort of connotation to it, like you've done this, well, this is the compensation for it. But the psalmist is saying, look, when you follow the Lord, when you belong to the Lord, there's compensation, there's benefits from it. Now, I know we want to be careful about this because we don't want to slide into this prosperity gospel thing of like, well, I'm following God and everything's going to work out right. And nothing, you know, 
We don't want to slide into that. And the whole book of Job is a meditation on would you serve God if there weren't any benefits, right? I mean, that's the whole setup of the book of Job is, is does the, the, the devil ask God, does Job serve you for nothing? And God's like, well, why don't you find out, right? But the rest of this, the rest of this sort of faith of the Israelites was a faith that understood God reveals who he is by what he does, and so we don't ever have to wonder about it. We can just look. Look, that this is what he does. He does this. He saves. He forgives. He heals. He delivers. He works righteousness. He does justice. He satisfies. This is what God does. And then verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, very patient, and full of faithful love. Now this to me, is at the very heart of this psalm, but not just of this psalm, but the very heart of what the Old Testament vision of God is. You know, Jason, Pastor Jason said last week, he said, you know, book one, book two, we, 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 we've been tracking sort of David's life and Israel's journey, and now all of a sudden in book four, there's a couple of psalms that are about Moses and things Moses said and things Moses taught, and you're like, well, that was like way earlier in the story. Why are we doing this? And, and one of the things he said last Sunday is the, peop, the psalmist was trying, they were trying to say to the people of God, you've been here before. You, you didn't always have land and temple and king. You used to be in the desert. You used to be wanderers in the wilderness and God was good to you then, right? So Verse 8, if it sounds familiar, it's because it's exactly what Moses says of God in Exodus 34. Exodus 34, when Moses says, God, show me your glory. I like to have a little, little bit of fun with you know, Christians who, who, who pursue ecstatic experiences with God. I believe in ecstatic, I believe in emotions, I believe in all of this stuff. But you know, it doesn't, Moses doesn't say, God, show me your glory. And then God goes, have some goosebumps. And he goes, woo, that was great. Do it again, Lord. You know? No, he says, God, show me your glory. And he says, oh, I got a little, woo, that was fun. I'll do it again, Lord. No. He says, show me your glory. And God says, fine, I'm going to show you who I am. In Exodus 34, the Lord proclaims in a loud voice, I am the Lord, the Lord, full of compassion, slow to anger, having faithful love over a thousand generations. God reveals who he is to Moses. And the psalmist remembers. The psalmist remembers. You see, sometimes when life is hard, you got to go back to what you once knew about God. You got to go back to what you once knew about God. And you're like, look, I don't know if I'm seeing this right now. I don't see a lot of tangible evidence of blessing. Excuse me. I only see evidence of how we've lost everything. I see the land being taken away. I see all of this stuff. I don't see any tangible blessings. How am I supposed to remember your benefits? And he says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've got to go back to what I once knew about you and what Moses said about you, what all the prophets said about you, what over and over again is repeated throughout the Old Testament, what is said about God is this. Okay, let's, what is God really like? Let's take verse 8 and let's list it out. God is compassionate. God is merciful. God is patient. God is full of faithful love. Say, so, well, I, I, I don't see the evidence of that right now. I'm having a hard time. 
but I've got to go back to what I once knew about you. God, what I have known about you, what has been true of you throughout the ages, is that you are compassionate. You are merciful. You are patient. You are full of faithful. Did you know that this very phrase about God is repeated multiple times in the Old Testament? That this is at the very heart of the Old Testament's vision of God. That's why people who say to you, oh, wasn't the Old Testament God kind of angry and mad and sort of judgy? You're like, I don't think you're really reading the story. Because if you read the story, you'll hear Psalm 103, verse 8, repeated over and over again. It's there in Exodus. It's there in the prophets. It's the thing Israel keeps coming back to. When they don't know what else to hang on to, they say, at least I know this is true about God. He's full of compassion. He's merciful. He's patient. He's full of faithful love. Amen? And then the psalmist goes on, verse 9, what about how God relates to us? And he says, okay, I'll tell you about that. God won't always play the judge. I like this translation of that. You won't always play the judge, you know. So you may be at a leadership position in your office. You may lead a team or whatever. And you know you don't always want to be the bad guy, right? You don't want to be the team leader that's always having to say, guys, come on, can you just send in your TPS reports, please? Just put the cover sheet on and send it in. You don't always want to be that guy. As a parent with little kids, you don't always want to be like, hey, stop fighting with one another. Sometimes I'll say to my kids on the weekend, you know, when they're, when they're fighting and they're like, dad, you know, come down here. I'm like, guys, you know, we could be spending this day laughing together. I don't want to always be the arbiter of justice in the house. And so God's like, I won't always play the judge forever. This is not the role I want to take all the time. Some of you are school teachers. You're like, I'd rather just teach and not have to do like classroom management all the time, right? Can I get an amen, somebody? And God's like, I don't always want to play the judge. He won't be angry forever. See, this is the thing. God, because he is love, does get angry, but he doesn't want to stay angry forever. In fact, one of, one of the other verses says, his anger lasts for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. It's forever. And so even right here in this song of praises, he won't be angry forever. This doesn't define God's, not, God's resting face is not anger. You know? That's not him. He doesn't deal with us according to how our, our sins or repay us according to our wrongdoing. And then it goes on, because as high as heaven is above the earth, that's how large God's faithful love is for those who honor him. How high is the heaven from the earth? I don't know, pretty high. Right, higher than that. As far as east is from west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. Like a parent feels compassion for their children, that's how the Lord feels compassion for those who honor him. I love this. Because the metaphor that God wants us to have at the front of our minds when we think about relating to him is not the metaphor of an angry judge, but of a compassionate parent. It's not the metaphor of an angry judge, but a compassionate parent. I love this. Like a parent feels compassion for their children. Some of you, that's not the home that you grew up in, so it, it's been some work to try to imagine this. So what's that really like? I want to say to you that believing 
that the Lord's disposition toward you is like a compassionate parent, that'll change everything about your life. That'll change everything about your life. It'll change not only the way you pray and relate to God, but it'll change the way that you relate to others. Sometimes I wonder, even as a parent, how often do we get angry with our kids because actually we've got some own internalized anger that we feel is from God toward us. And so we think, well, this is how it's got to be. And so we actually aren't the parents who have compassion on our kids. We're the parents who are mad all the time. But maybe it's because we think that God is actually mad at us. But listen to this. Because God knows how we're made, God remembers we're just dust. I mean, what tenderness in that phrase, right? Sometimes in my, in my worst parenting moments, I'll, I'll, I'll launch into you know, some sort of a lecture or something, and, and my wife will say, babe, she's five. And like, Jane, it's like, five. I'm like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. You know, like childhood development theory and all of that stuff is not fully in our heads, right? And we do this as parents. We sometimes, we get so mad because we think the goal is to control the behavior of our children. So then we get, we're mad. Why won't you stop? Why won't you behave? Why are you melting down in Walmart? And you're like, because you're dragging me all over town. That's why. And then you're like, oh, so, oh I forgot. You, you're just a kid. You're just five. And I'm telling you, parents, sometimes we, you know, there's all this funny teaching out there that like, creates expectations of our kids that really kids could never live up to. I mean, there's stuff out there about like first-time obedience. When is the last time you first-time obeyed God? Like, for real? Like, first-time obedience? Like, how's that working for you? You get mad. But the Lord knows we're just dust. I mean, I think about God looking at us, and, and he's like, Oh, you're fragile, aren't you? Like, you're just, wow. Wow, you are just dust. <laughs> and with such tenderness, and I, I wonder, could, what if we treated one another like that, let alone our kids? We're like, oh, you, you're just two. You're two years old. You're five. You're eight. You're seven. What? You're, what, to one another? You're just human. We're, we're fragile. It's okay. There's a tenderness that God has. As a parent who feels compassion, God knows we're just dust. And so if we were to ask ourselves, okay, so what does God really think about us? What does God really think about us? Here's what the psalmist wants us to know. God is not angry at us. That's not his default mode of treating you. That's not his default mode. Like, oh, you know, he's not. It doesn't define what he thinks of you. God has forgiven us has already forgiven us. Exile in the Old Testament was connected to the sense of, of their own idolatry and sin. And so when they were hoping to be returned from exile, they were basically, it was the same thing as saying, God, will you forgive us? And the psalmist is saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, and forget none of his benefits, the God who forgives your sins. That is what God does. That is who God is. And the New Testament will give us the picture in focus, crystal clear. Paul will say in Romans 5, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you ever wondered if God thinks thoughts toward us that demonstrate forgiveness, Paul says, look at the cross. Already there. He's already there. 
You don't have to come wondering, oh, he's got, he's got a good mood, bad mood. Is he going to forgive, not forgive? I don't know. It's like, look at the cross. Already forgiven. Good to ask, but ask from a place of knowing he really already has. And then we can say from this psalm that God feels compassion toward us. I love this. He actually feels compassion. We're not dealing with a God who's like a robot computer who like, this is the rules, you broke them. Principles, my code tells me that I need to react this way. This is a God full of emotion, pathos. A God who looks at us and says, oh, man, come here. Let me get you cleaned up. Already forgiven, not angry, already feels compassion. When we sing a song that reminds us of who God is and what God really thinks about us, it might seem like we're trying to ignore the realities of life. It might seem like, well, is this just, you know, another example of Christians' mind over matter, you know, just positivity, blah, 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 you know, I mean, what about the fact that you are in exile? What about the fact that you really are living in a difficult place? What about the fact that business is not going well and health is not good? And what about that? Are we just singing Psalm 103 in a way that ignores this? No. No, because listen to what the psalmist goes on to say. He says, the days of a human life are like grass. They bloom like a wildflower, but when the wind blows through it, it's gone. And even the ground where it stood doesn't remember it. <laughs> it's like the psalmist saying, I know it's tough, but it won't last. I know this stinks, but it's not forever. Life, as good as it gets and as bad as it gets, is not the final word on you. It's not the most permanent thing about you. This life, eh, yeah, good moments, bad moments, difficult, joyful, but it's almost over. There's something much longer beyond this. I heard a story a few months ago of uh, a guy who attends one of our other congregations at New Life. And he lost his, one of his children to a terrible disease. He's just heartbroken. And it's been a year now or so. Some time has gone. And one of our pastors went over, squeezed his arm during worship. Hey, how you doing, man? And he said, you know, <laughs> he said, the next 50 years are going to be the hardest 50 years of the next trillion years of my life. <laughs> so that's interesting. And that's perspective. It's like these next 50, they're going to be hard. No way around it. This is hard. But you know what? That's like a blip compared to eternity. One day there's going to be resurrection. One day there's going to be new creation. One day death itself will be swallowed up in victory. One day God will come, Christ will return, and every tear will be wiped away, and all things will be made new. So yeah, the next season, that's going to be tough. But it's the hardest 50 years of the next trillion, billion, whatever years of eternity. And the psalmist says, yeah, 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 this stuff 
It's not forever, man. The good, it's not forever. The bad, it's not forever. But then he says, you know what is forever? But the Lord's faithful love is from forever ago to forever from now. I mean, what a phrase. From forever ago to forever from now. The Lord's faithful love is for those who honor him and God's righteousness reaches to grandchildren of those who keep his covenant and remember to keep his commands. The psalmist is like, as you're praising God, you're gonna gain a new perspective. As you're praising God, you're going to not just think about your moment, but you're going to think about generations to come, and you're going to think about generations after that, and you're going to think about when it's all over and when it's all said and done. When we've been there 10,000 years, we'll still be singing amazing grace. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And the psalmist says, keep that in mind. Bless the Lord, O my soul, is not a way of ignoring the trouble. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, is about remembering what's stronger, what's greater, what will last longer. This life doesn't last very long. But the steadfast love of the Lord, that's from forever ago to forever from now. Amen? So bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Would you stand with me this morning? Before we even come to the table this morning and before we confess our sins and all of that, I want us to just sing this old chorus. I want us to be able to lift our eyes up from his current circumstances, real as they are, devastating as they are, difficult as they are, and to say, Lord, I don't want to be like an ostrich with my head buried in the sand, not ignoring life. I want to be like the eagle whose strength is renewed and soars above and says, okay, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. The Lord whose steadfast love is from forever ago and to forever from now. Amen. Sing this with me. Sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Come on, lift it up. Sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Sing it strong now, sing it, bless the Lord.
Just your voices out loud now. Yes, sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy Now let's sing it tenderly to the God who looks on us with tenderness. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless 